Although many people may think of nursing home placement as the inevitable result of impairment, it's frequently driven by social rather than clinical factors. Home and community-based services, which help meet the needs of people with disabilities and older adults without requiring them to enter an institution, can be an alternative to nursing home placement. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Ari Neumann, a doctoral candidate in health policy at Harvard University and a visiting scholar at the Lurie Institute for Disability Policy at Brandeis University. Mr. Neman has co-authored a perspective article about promoting opportunities for community living to keep people out of nursing homes. Mr. Neman, what do we know about the population of people residing in nursing homes in the United States today? Nursing home placement, as you say, is frequently perceived to be driven by biological impairment. But for a great many nursing home residents, it's lack of access to affordable, accessible housing, lack of access to community services, and lack of access to other resources that drive nursing home placement. It's not an accident that among nursing home residents younger than 65, persons from marginalized racial and ethnic groups, Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, are much more likely to be um, among the ranks of younger nursing home residents. It's also the case that about a third of nursing home residents under the age of 65 have a serious mental illness, a population that often struggles with homelessness and inconsistent access to housing, which can also drive their placement into nursing homes, especially after hospitalizations and lack of access to community-based post-acute care options. So what we've really seen is that frequently social factors drive institutionalization. And of course, the necessary conclusion from that is that by intervening in these social factors, we can keep more people with disabilities in the community rather than in nursing homes and other institutions. So you're saying that home and community-based services may be an option for some people who'd otherwise enter an institution. Can you describe the range of services that would be included under that umbrella and why community living may be preferable to institutional care? So home and community-based services include a very broad range of service provision. It can be everything from the very straightforward help with activities of daily living, like dressing, bathing, toileting, etc., to more complex forms of support, such as assistance with finding and maintaining employment or help with medication management, or money management, or in some instances, things like support with parenting or other tasks that characterize how people spend their day-to-day -day lives. So we actually have a fairly long history through home and community-based service waivers of, of very broad benefit packages being made available to people with disabilities. Now, in terms of why there is this strong preference for community living, this is long-standing that there's an overwhelming preference for living in the community rather than institutional settings among people with disabilities of any age, but especially among people with disabilities younger than 65. It really comes down to questions of autonomy and integration. Persons residing in nursing homes and other institutions are subject to a tremendous degree of regimentation and control over their own lives. 
when we think about decisions that most people can take for granted, like when to eat breakfast or when to go to sleep or whether or not you can have a visitor in your home at a particular hour of the day or night, those are things that in many institutional settings, those are freedoms that are denied to people with disabilities. And so it really is so crucial that we work to divert people from institutional placement, keep people in the community, and work to help people who are currently in nursing homes and other institutions to transition back to the community in order to secure access to those gains in terms of autonomy, social inclusion, and other things that members of the predominantly non-disabled, non-institutionalized public can usually take for granted. So you say in your article that in many states, people with disabilities may wait years for access to these community services. So what are the primary drivers of gaps in access? So Medicaid has what advocates refer to as an institutional bias. Medicaid was created with a nursing home benefit. It is a mandatory state plan benefit. That means that Every state has to offer it, and they have to offer it to anyone who is Medicaid eligible and meets the functional impairment criteria. But home and community-based services were, by and large, added to Medicaid many years later. The home and community-based services waiver, which is the primary financing vehicle for HCBS, was added to the program in 1980. And as a result, it was added as an optional benefit and as a benefit that states could cap enrollment on, which is to say, with respect to nursing homes, states are on the hook for paying for nursing home placement to anyone who seeks nursing home placement. With respect to community-based options, states can say, we're only going to serve 500 or 1,000 people. And if you're 501 or 1,001, then you're going on a waiting list. And in many parts of the country, we see years-long waiting lists. And this creates a problem because it means that unless people enter into a crisis, which can send people higher up the waiting list, they're denied access to service provision. And so, in effect, we avoid the opportunity to meet people's needs at a relatively early phase and instead wait until they've had unnecessary hospitalizations, often a decay in social support and other factors that make it far more difficult to keep them in the community and to keep people happy, healthy, and autonomous. Looking at government action, in your article, you suggest several steps that policymakers and regulators could take to transition people out of nursing homes into the community and to divert others away from nursing homes to begin with. What do you see as the most promising opportunities for action in Congress? So three years ago, President Biden proposed major new investments in home and community-based services. He proposed $400 billion in additional funding, would have been the single largest new investment in HCBS in the history of the program. Unfortunately, that funding did not end up moving through Congress, and um, we're unlikely to see investments at that scale, given the current composition of Congress. But there's still the possibility of seeing smaller scale investments in expanding HCBS. One program that we can look to prior precedent 
to build on is the Affordable Care Act created something called the Balancing Incentive Program, which incentivized states with relatively low levels of HCBS investment to expand the availability of HCBS in their states through receiving additional federal funding in exchange for meeting certain performance targets. In our uh, commentary, we recommend that Congress create a new version of the Balancing Incentive Program, similarly provide states with additional financing in order to meet performance targets, but to consider setting those targets on a population basis. Some of our prior research has shown that, well, older adults, people over the age of 65, have seen a very sizable reduction in nursing home placement over the last decade. Younger people with disabilities in much of the country have stagnated and have not seen the same reduction in nursing home utilization. Um, And so we want to see performance targets and new versions of federal incentive programs to expand HCBS set looking at particular subgroups like younger people with disabilities, people with serious mental illness who are often warehoused in nursing homes and uh, other populations that have not sufficiently benefited from the shift away from institutional care towards home and community-based services. So beyond any action in Congress, what could the administration do without the legislative branch? So there are a few things I'd like to highlight. Some of it is already underway. In 2014, the Obama administration issued a regulation called the Home and Community-Based Settings Rule, setting minimum standards for settings in which HCBS are delivered with the idea of differentiating institutional and community settings more definitively. The, The thinking here is that if someone is living in a group home where they have a bedtime or uh, regimented mealtimes or restrictions on the ability to have visitors, they're living in a setting that is more appropriately classified as an institution rather than living in the community. Now, that rule had a nine-year phase-in period, in fact, just came into full effect this March. And so there is a very dire need for the federal government, for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to aggressively enforce this home and community-based settings rule and really set clear expectations for state Medicaid programs and providers regarding respecting the autonomy and choice of people with disabilities. There have also been more recent proposals, actually just this past month in April, CMS issued a proposed regulation to require states to spend at least 80% of their spending on personal care, home health, and homemaker services on compensation for direct care workers, recognizing that we have a workforce crisis that drives a lot of the problems that lead people into institutional settings. And then finally, I would highlight the need to address housing. I've mentioned before People with disabilities often end up in institutions because of lack of affordable, accessible housing. Now, under current law and practice, Medicaid is not permitted to pay for ongoing rental assistance. There have been proposals, I think quite justifiable and necessary proposals, to use the federal government's Section 1115 waiver authority that allows federal authorities to undertake demonstrations to permit 
Medicaid to pay for ongoing rental assistance to certain populations of people with disabilities who are at risk of institutionalization. Making those kinds of investments, being willing to pay for housing in order to keep people out of institutions, has the potential to both substantially improve quality and help improve the cost trajectory of many people with long-term services and supports needs as well. Finally, in another recent Perspective article, Valdez and Swenor discussed the importance of dismantling structural ableism for achieving equity in health and healthcare. So how do you see ableism and structural ableism as affecting access to services in the community? So I think that's an excellent question. A lot of the public fears disability and by extension, disabled people. Right? There is a lot of anxiety about the possibility, which exists in all of our lives, of acquiring additional impairment, be it physical or cognitive. And as a result of that fear, I think there is often a sense that people with disabilities, especially people with high support needs, belong somewhere else, over there, around the corner, a mythical, magical place better equipped to meet their needs, despite the fact that we know that nursing home placement is really often the result of a failure to meet people's needs rather than a solution to meeting those needs. And so in addition to these policy changes, the investment of additional funding and other things that we recommend, I think the issues of structural ableism that are highlighted in Valdez and Swainor's commentary are really crucial. They highlight the need to tackle the public's fear of disability as one component in changing medical practice, but also public policy in order to welcome people with disabilities on a more equal basis into the broad scope of community life. Thank you, Mr. Neman.